We are in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3. This is the last words of the apostle Peter. And I personally really like Peter because uh, he's got a lot of passion. You read the gospels and he's like the first trying to step out of the boat. He's the first saying he's gonna kill a bunch of people for Jesus' sake. You know, he's just, he's got a lot of passion. But with a lot of passion, he makes a lot of mistakes. He blows it quite often, which I like because that's kind of me too. Um, and I appreciate that, that the apostle Peter does not have an S underneath his robe that he's very relatable, he's very understandable, he's like you and me. So these are the final words of the Apostle Peter. This is the last chapter. And what he's gonna say in this chapter is really be. There's a bunch of kind of bees. Here's what you want to be. Be mindful, be patient, be vested, be diligent. Because if you are, you're gonna grow in grace and you're gonna be a courageous overcomer. You're going to be bold. You're going to live a good life. So it's just a brilliant chapter. So it's great insight, final words from a man who knew. So today we're just going to look at one thing, one concept, and it's be mindful. As a believer, have your mind full of these kinds of things. So check this out. Verse one begins with being mindful of scripture. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Number one. Remind. I want to remind you of something. Why do we need reminders? Yes. Anybody put on their phone a reminder for their wife's birthday? Right? You know it. Or your anniversary. Why do you put those reminders on your phone? Even though those are really super important dates, we still put them as reminders on our phones. Why? Because it is dangerous to forget. That's not a bridge I'm crossing, right? And you know it's possible that day will come and you'll forget. So you're like, oh, I do not want to forget because forgetting is really bad. Science says this about your mind, that it has the capacity to actually remember everything, right? Like everybody has a photographic memory. The problem is most of us are out of film. <laughs> the SD card is full. So we have to have reminders. So Peter here is saying, listen, read the prophets. Read Jesus. Read the apostles. He essentially is read the Old Testament and read the New Testament and read it over and over and over again because you need the reminder. What do we need to be reminded of? I'll give you two things that the Bible does for me. Number one, it reminds me of the way of the world. This is the most honest book I've ever read. It doesn't candy coat things. It tells it like it is. Read the book of Judges, right? It does not candy coat things. It is the most honest book you're going to read. A lot of times we want to flatten out the hard parts of a scripture and kind of make it easy, make it into a... Um, Nursery rhyme, 
But that's not the Bible. The Bible is thick and dense and it's incredibly honest and I love that. It tells us the way things really are, that it has been evil and bad all the way back to Adam. Adam has two boys, what do they do? One boy murders the other boy, okay? That's as bad as it could get in a family, okay? That's chapter four. <laughs> That's the very beginning. Page four, one brother murders the other brother, okay? So Paul says this, it's Ephesians 5, verse 16. He says, look out, there are evil days. And he wrote that 2,000 years ago. So what is Paul saying by, hey, the days are evil, is it that 2,000 years ago in AD 60, it was the worst time in history? Because you and I can look kind of at our culture and look at America and look at the way things are, and we can begin to believe that somehow we've cornered the market on wickedness today, that we are as bad as it gets, right? You start talking to people and they're like, man, Jesus has to come back soon because it is so bad here. Like, have you read history? Have you read about Genghis Khan? Read about Genghis Khan. That was bad. Read about World War I, where they dug these ditches and they had certain kinds of gases that would go down into the ditches. Read about that. Read about World War II and the Holocaust, right? Read about the Punic Wars in Rome with Roman Carthage. You're just, you cannot believe it. Read about the Black Plague in the 1400s. Wow, right? So the Bible, what it does for me is it reminds me, ha, ah, it's always been bad. So then what are evil days? Here's what evil days are. Paul knew his Bible. And there's the final words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It's his sign off. And Solomon begins by saying this. He's an old man at the time. He says this to young people. He says, listen, young people, chase your king hard. Chase your creator hard now because there's coming a day when you will wake up and you'll be like, ouch, I woke up. Has that happened to you yet? Ouch, I woke up. Ugh. And then he just goes down this list of body parts that start to fail you as you get older. You can't see, right? You can't hear. You can't sleep, which is interesting to me because you would think if you can't hear, you'd be able to sleep really good, right? I mean, it just amazes me. I was in my 20s, lived in a house, four-bedroom house with 24 other guys. There were six men in my room, six men all night long doing what men do all night long in that room. I didn't have a mattress. I slept in a sleeping bag, and I slept like a log. Nothing could wake me up. Now, 48, I get woke up by anything. I'm like, what is that? It's a dog barking in Merlin. I live in Murphy. I'm like, what in the world is wrong with me? Right? I can't even hear, but man, I can hear that at night. Right? So he just goes down. He's like, your voice stops working. You ever watched an old rock star on PBS? Do you like a concert? Right? I saw one with Neil Young. And Neil Young, man, he just can't hit the notes he used to hit. So what they do is they have a bunch of backup singers, right? because they can't hit them anymore. But it works out fine because the audience is really old and they can't hear anymore. So they're like, man, Neil Young still got it. He's killing it, man. <laughs> no, you can't hear. He actually can't even sing anymore. Right? Here's what Solomon says. That's evil days. Evil days is this thing that happens to us, this rhythm of life 
One day flows into two days, flows into a week, flows into a month, flows into a week, flows into a decade, and you're like, what happened? What happened? I'm old. What happened to my life? What happened to time? Where did it go? That's the evilness of days. That's why if you read in Ephesians 5, verse 16, where Paul's like, it's evil days, he says this, so wake up. Don't let the evilness of days, this lulling to sleep, this day after day, this monotony, don't let it lull you into sleep. Wake up. Wake up. That's what God's word does to me. I'll be reading God's word and I'll be lulled into this sleep. And it's like God's word crashes in on me and says, Matt, what are you doing right now with your life? What are you doing? What are you doing? Because you're gonna get old and you won't be able to do what you used to do. So what are you doing now, Matt? It crashes in on me. What happened to 2020? Can you believe 2020's gone? I mean, we're all happy about that, but (laughs) wow, what happened in 2020? Oh my goodness, it's gone, right? So it reminds me of the way of the world, but number two, just staying in God's word and bathing in it and rereading it, it reminds me who God is that we serve the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of Moses and David, of Esther and of Ruth, of Elijah and Peter and Paul, right? So if we serve that God, shouldn't we be bold? Shouldn't we be reading the Bible and seeing things in the Bible and be like, hey, that's for me. I was reading uh, Isaiah recently and I came across this text. It is so good. It says this, and it's Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Like right now, this isn't like, well, I'm waiting for something to happen to me. No, arise, shine, your light has come. And the glory, glory is a great word, it's kavod. It's the substance, it's the matter, it's the weightiness of Yahweh has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. Yeah, it's gonna get dark. And thick darkness to people. But Yahweh will rise upon you. And his glory, his kavod will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. How brilliant is that? How brilliant is that? We're the light of the world. I don't have to wait for something. That's already happened. Arise, take hold of this. Be bold before life lulls you into this kind of sleep, right? Or just kind of lulls you into sleep. It's maybe like this. My seventh grade chemistry teacher at North Middle School was Mrs. Paxson. Mrs. Paxson had a aquarium. And that aquarium inside of it was an Oscar. And Oscars, I don't know if they're still popular fish or whatever, but they seemed popular when I was young. They're like this vicious tropical fish that we'd eat anything that moved, right? Just, just crazy. Well, Oscars can be trained. And so what happened to this Oscar is a, a pane of glass had been put into his aquarium and separated it into two sections. He was on one side. Everything he loved to eat was put on the other side. And so he would just smash his head against that glass pane time and time again, trying to eat his tasty meal, but he failed over and over, day after day. And it lulled him into, I give up. And once he gave up, 
the glass pane could be removed and they were friends now. I called him Oscar the Grouch because he was a grouchy fish. That happens in life, doesn't it? You try something, you hit your head. You attempt something, it seems like you fail. And you try again and again and again. And eventually, guess what? Life does something to us and we become Oscar the Grouches. Like we give up. But here's what God's word does to me. Wait. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God acted in a moment, right? They took 400 years in Egypt. We're gonna talk about God's patience next week and be glad God is patient. But when God decides to act, 400 years ended in 10 plagues and his people being set free, right? That's the same God you and I serve that closed the mouths of lions, the incarnation. God waited a long time for the incarnation, but when it happened, it was history changing. We're supposed to get this about God that when he acts, history changes. And what that does is it makes us like Caleb who for 40 years, talk about a long time of just wanting to give up. 40 years, he wanders in the wilderness. Day after day, year after year, decade after decade, nothing changes for 40 years. Eating the same food every single day, manna. I mean, that would be hard. But then at 84 years of age, he is told, because of your faith, you can take any land you want in Israel, beachfront property, lakefront property, Riverfront property, property on the golf course. What property do you want? Guess what Caleb said? He said, I am as strong today as I was when I was 40. And I don't know the God that I serve. And I want a mountain with a giant on it. Don't, I don't want to relax. I don't want to kick back. I want a mountain with a giant on it at 84 years of age because he understood the nature of God. You and I, we wanna be in scripture. We wanna have our mind full of scripture. Why? It tells us the way the world is so we can be prepared for it. But more importantly, it tells us the God that we serve. That when he acts, history changes and we wait for that action. So Peter, be mindful, be reminded of scripture. But know this, you might be loving scripture and excited about scripture. There's gonna be at the other side of it, the Bible's honest. There's gonna be scoffers. Look at verse three. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. One of Peter's themes, he must have really faced it is this. People are gonna scoff at you and mock you for your faith. So be ready for it. He adds in here because they wanna sin. If someone is scoffing you for your faith, because they're trying to find an excuse to sin, I just walk away from that. I'm like, I'm not gonna convince you. Forget it, go sin. Martin Luther said to this guy that wanted to sin, he goes, sin magnificently. Go get as much sin as you possibly can and see if that's the answer. Because you're gonna find it isn't. So if people wanna sin, okay. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna waste time with them. But know this, you can be in scripture, excited about what you're learning, faith, theology, God, and people will scoff you and make fun of you. 
Because here's the reality of what we believe. We believe God was born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life. Because of the Trinity, ultimately he prays to himself over and over again. Because of his sinless life, they kill him and slaughter him. He is resurrected three days later, and he made this promise to you and me, Revelation 19, that he'll come back and pick us up on his horse. That's what we believe. Now, do you think people might scoff that? They might be like, oh, hold on a second. I feel like I'm missing something. Am I getting all the picture, all the pieces here? Because this feels a little funny, right? I, I followed you to the virgin birth, but he's coming back to get you on a horse? This is the day of the car, man. If it said he was coming back to get you on a Tesla, I could buy it, but a horse, I'm out. Okay? I remember in college just facing mocking after mocking after mocking, and it really led to a lot of doubt in my life. Because back then, I had no tools. I had no idea about apologetics. Like, I didn't know. Actually, there's a whole nother way to think about this and look at this, right? And the more I studied, the more I learned, I'm like, oh my goodness. They did not give me all the information. That's crazy. I'll give you one right here that Peter mentions. So he says this, verse four. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? All things continue as usual. This is known as, in the scientific world, uniformitarianism. What's uniformitarianism? All things just continue as they are. That when you look out and you see the stars and the planets and everything out there, what uniformitarianism said was this. It's just always been. The universe has no beginning and the universe has no end. It's just always been. This was the dominant scientific theory to 1970, which means this. I'm, I'm 48 years old. When I was born, the dominant theory was, yep, life has always just been this way. Uniformitarianism. It was so powerful that when Einstein came up with his theory of relativity in the early 1900s, it predicted a beginning to the universe. But everybody knew there was no beginning to the universe. It's always just been here. So he added in what's called the fudge factor, biggest regret of his life, to try to make his theory say there was no beginning. Well, if you go to school today and you look at a textbook and you read it, does it teach uniformitarianism that the, it, the universe has just always been here? Mm -mm. What does it teach now? Big bang. What is the big bang? A beginning. Now, why was the change? Well, this guy named Edwin Hubble started to notice something. Actually, he accumulated data that the stars have a red shift. What's a red shift? Well, have you ever been sitting and have a car go by you? When it's coming towards you, its sound is higher pitched, right? It's like, eh, and then it passes you and it goes, eh. That's actually the sound waves being compressed in front of the car and then being expanded behind the car because of its speed. The same thing happens to light. When a star is traveling away from us, it stretches the wavelength, making it longer or shifts it to red light. And what they noticed was this. It's like all the stars are expanding. It's like the universe is expanding. Like if, it's, if you pull it all back together, it'd come back to one point like it had a beginning. Hmm, that's interesting. But here was the death nail to uniformitarianism. It was 1960s. Two engineers, Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson, worked at Bell Labs. They're trying to use a 
big antenna to communicate with. And they kept getting this static in it. And so they went and they kept like washing out this big dish and trying to get all the pigeon poop off it because they thought that's what was causing this static. But no matter what they did, they could not remove this static. What they discovered was cosmic background radiation, the calling card for the beginning. And once that came, they won a Nobel Prize for that discovery. It was so important. And after 1970, uniformitarianism left and we were big bang, beginning. And it was fought. Listen to this guy, Sir John Maddox, big time science guy, editor of Nature Magazine. This is what he said when the big bang was starting to supplant uniformitarianism. This is what he said. We must not allow there to be a big bang. Why, because of scientific data? No. A beginning because it gives too much strength to the creationists and the Bible. Oh no, not that. (laughs) How crazy is that? What an agenda is that? And he fought it to his death. Why? Because it pointed to the reality of scripture, right? Pointed to this book right here. So now here's what they do. In order to escape from God, here's what they say. Well, everything that you see, the stars and the sun and the planets and the galaxies and the universe, it was all inside of something the size of an atom. And then there was this moment, a singularity where, boom, it all just created itself. Oh, (laughs) really? That sounds like something my seven-year-old Myron would make up. I'd go into his room and be like, dude, what happened to your room? It is a mess. Dad. All of a sudden, bandits appeared. They trashed my room and then they disappeared. True story, dad. (laughs) I guess insanity. The more you read about the Big Bang and the more they try to get closer and closer and closer to that singularity, you're more like, this is insane. This is insane, right? Nothing always creates nothing. Just look at your wallet. You don't magically have like 20 more bucks in there. Like, awesome. It's insanity to me. People that are honest, people that are honest know this. So listen to Charles Towns, who won a Nobel Prize in physics. This is what he says. And he's not a a Christian guy. He's just saying, I'm following the evidence. He says this. In my view, the question of origin, origin of the universe, seems to be left unanswered if we explore it from a scientific point of view. Thus, following the science, I believe there is a need for some religious or metaphysical explanation. I believe in the concept of God and in his existence. Because if you're honest, that's what you have to say. In the beginning, there had to either be matter or a mind, one of the two. You had to have one of those, anyone that's honest would say that. Because if I have nothing today, I'm gonna have nothing tomorrow, and you can follow that out for as long as you want. But here's what they scoff at, verse five. They scoff at the word. They scoff at God's word. Christianity, listen to me, Christianity is built on God's word. That we survey God who when he says something, his word actually creates what he says. 
That's how this book begins. Genesis 1, what does God do? He says, let there be light. And guess what there was? Light. Here's what's amazing to me. That was written 3,500 years ago. That was written when other origin stories were, it was the blood droppings of a God or the flesh of some kind of creature, right? That was how everything got created. The Bible said, no, the very first thing that ever was created was light. Guess what every single scientist says today that the very first thing the universe created was light. Amazing to me. Just how reliable, how incredible is this book that you and I hold? It means this. If you want a church created, guess what you do? You preach the word. I've yet to see a lasting church that did not consistently preach God's word because it creates. If I want my life to be transformed, to be created into something new, guess what I do to myself? I preach God's word. If I want to see a person become saved, I preach the word. I try to, when I do evangelism, get through all their questions as quick as possible and get to Jesus because that's all that matters. Okay, let's, let's answer your objections quick as I can. Now let's talk about Jesus. Who do you think Jesus is? Preach the word because that's what creates. And when you and I trust God's word, here's what we're doing. We're saying we trust him. We don't trust the government. We don't trust the economy. We don't trust politics. We don't trust other people. We don't even trust ourselves. We trust Jesus. You can trust your own inventions that everything came from nothing if you want to. That takes a lot of faith. I'm gonna put my faith in Jesus. And that's why Peter says, ah, stay in scripture. They may scoff you, doesn't matter. God's word creates what he says it will create. And this is important because lastly on this section, Peter says this, there's coming an end. Look at verse six. And that by means of these, the world that, that, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. There's coming an end. That this world has an expiration date on it. Even science agrees with that now. That everything's winding down, enthalpy to entropy, all that, all that stuff. That one day, this entire world will become, entire universe will become lifeless and void. There's an expiration date to it. We think it's like, it's just steady state. Everything's always gonna be the same. Everything's, no way. There's been cataclysmic events that have happened on planet Earth. And Peter brings up one. He says this, the flood. Just mentions it in passing. Doesn't explain it. His audience is Gentiles that would not have the Old Testament. And yet he just passively, you guys know about the flood, right? I'm not gonna have to explain it to you. I'm not gonna talk about Genesis chapter six, seven, eight, nine. No, I'm just gonna, in passing, tell you. He assumes that his audience would know all about the flood. He does it in his first epistle as well. Now, why? Because the flood, if you don't know this, the flood is universal. Like it's been found in places from Australia to Hawaii. 
right? All over, just been found. Um, I'll give you some examples. So five different Roman emperors, when a Roman emperor would come on the throne, he would make money in his image as part of what they did. Like put your name, put your face on a coin. Five of them had their face on one side. On the other side, they had Noah and his wife in a boat. Here's an example of one that was discovered. Hard to see this one, but here's one that's been, it's another one, it's a different kind, but it's been actually drawn out. So the two people that look like they're in a car door, that's a boat from the uh, first century. <laughs> and that's Noah and his wife, because they were well-known, right? So this guy did this research once, and he found that 270 civilizations across the globe have a flood story. And he looked at each of these flood stories and he tried to compare, how do the flood stories compare to the Bible? And he made a graph, this is just a few of them. But every green square is somewhere that these ancient flood stories agreed with the Bible in some way. And this is amazing, right? One of the places is Hawaii. Hawaii is one of the most remote, isolated island chains in the world. And they have a flood story, and the hero, his name is Nu'u. Sounds like Hawaiian for Noah to me, right? I mean, that's really incredible. Okay, you can go on and on. Kanji, which is the language of a lot of the Asian continents, especially China. Kanji has in it the flood story. And missionaries have actually used this to share the gospel. But if you look at the word for boat, it's vessel plus eight mouths. Guess how many people were on the boat? Eight, Noah, his wife, three sons, and their wives. Eight mouths. Flood also has the word eight in it. Why? Why is that in this? Why is it in this really, really, really ancient language? Why? Because it's universal. You should have great faith in the book that you hold right here. It is God's word. Peter says, know this, know this. Apply this to yourself you have an expiration date as well. That one day, you and I will expire, right? One day, we will live all the life that we've been given and our life in this age and on this system will be gone, right? So here's what he says. It's verse 11. You might mark this one. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved... All these things. What manner, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? You have an expiration date. I have an expiration date. Everything around here has an expiration date. So what kind of people ought we to be? So Wednesday night, we're going to the book of Hebrews. Just this last Wednesday, James Dennis took us through Hebrews chapter 12. Brilliant. And it begins by saying this, hey, we're in this race, right? Because we're in this race called life, lay aside every sin and weight that besets you. Well, sins are easy, right? Could be the sin of unbelief. I mean, it's singular, so it could just be unbelief. But what are weights? What are things that weigh us down? Here's my best 
illustration of this. Back in 1992, I had this crazy idea. I had a new mountain bike. I said, I wanna take this mountain bike and I wanna go out to Montana and I wanna ride it home. And I got two people to go with me, my older brother and my friend, Neil. And so we said, okay, let's do this. So we loaded up our bikes on a Greyhound bus, went out to Livingston, Montana, got dropped off and we start riding our bikes home. Now, I have never, this is before the age of the internet, before any of that kind of stuff, and I've never been a guy that prepares well. I'm like, it ruins the adventure, right? So I did not prepare well. I just said, let's do this. I had panniers on my bike and we're going. So we're riding along and we're in great shape. We're in our early, you know, I was 20 years old. We're all kind of at that age, just good, good shape. We could pump out 80 miles, no problem. So we're riding this one day and it's a really straight section through Idaho and we're just pumping along. And we have these little mirrors. I can see in my mirror, there's a dude doing the same thing as us. He's behind us, but he's fast. He's like catching us. So we kept riding and we're kind of, kind of speed up a little bit, but it didn't matter. He caught us and he starts to pass us. And I'm like, man, who is this Lance Armstrong? So I look over to see who he is. He's this old dude. I mean, he's like 60 years old. He's ancient. And we're like, what in the world? When you're 20, you do not want to be owned by a 60-year-old, right? And he was owning us. I'm like, what in the world? Didn't matter how hard I pedaled, he was passing us. So I'm like, hey, hey, time out, buddy. Pull over. So we pull over. He's from Norway. And we start talking. We're like, bro, you are fast. He's like, yeah, you guys are slow. <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with us? And he looks at our packs. He's like, um, how much do those weigh? My bike, I scaled it before we left. It weighed 100 pounds. My bike was 25, I had 75 pounds of stuff. He's like, my packs weigh 30 pounds. We're like, what? He's like, what do you have in those packs? So we start pulling out stuff like cans of refried beans and cans of corn and fruit cocktail and a 12 inch cast iron skillet. And he's like, why do you have food in there? He's like, I don't transport any food. I just buy the food in the cities that I come to. We're like, brilliant. Oh, that is so brilliant. Like we packed like we were off in the, like the Sahara or something where there was no food anywhere. Like we packed like two months worth of food in these things. We're morons. So the next city we came to, which was like in 15 minutes, we took all of our food and just threw it away. We're like, okay, we are not transporting food anymore. That's a wait. Now, there's no law that says when you're on a bike and you're doing a bike trip and you hit a city every couple hours, don't transport food. It's not illegal. It's not even immoral. It's just stupid, right? And it was gonna wear us out. And all of a sudden, we got faster because our packs were 30 pounds instead of 75 pounds. That's weights. Not illegal, not immoral, but they'll wear you out. They will wear you out earlier than you should have been. And so Peter, author of Hebrews, evaluate your life based on what you know that this here has an expiration date on it. This here has an expiration date on it. Evaluate your life. How are you living? Are there things that you are engaged in and take a lot of your time, take a lot of your effort that ultimately don't produce anything? It's a weight. Cut it off, do something else, right? I mean, what a great verse, verse 11. As we go into 2021, what a great verse to say, God, Jesus, is there something? Am I living the right kind of way, right? 
And we take communion every single Sunday. And part of the reason why we take communion is, it's really in Hebrews. Because after the author is saying, hey, you know, make sure sin waits, he says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're not left alone in this battle to figure out what sin is or figure out what weight is. This isn't self-help. This is Jesus, I love you. I want the most from life. I know the most from life comes from living it the way that you did. So I'm gonna keep my eyes on you. Reveal to me, cleanse me, change me, show me. And we have a savior who is the author and finisher of our faith. He doesn't leave us. And so Jesus, today, as we partake in you, I pray that we would be a people that keep our eyes firmly fixed upon you. That we'd be willing to hear your voice, our good shepherd, saying, let go of that. Get involved in here. Do this. And that we'd be obedient. So I pray as we partake this morning that we would take great hope in you. That you're author and finisher of every person's faith in here. Let's eat together. And for the cup, I pray as we drink, I pray that we drink deeply of the gospel, the gospel of acceptance and forgiveness, the gospel of justification and transformation, the gospel that we're both perfect and being perfected, and that we would be clay on your wheel, pliable, changeable, trusting you. So let's drink of the cup. Amen. Well, you know this, this is our routine. We'll sing one more song and after that, there'll be people up here that would love to pray for you. Maybe you need prayer about something that's weighing you down. Maybe you need prayer for a sin that's besetting you. Well, that's what we'd love to do here. Maybe you've got worries or concerns right now. We're supposed to cast all of those things onto Jesus because he cares for us. So come get prayer if you need it. We do baptisms. Maybe today is the day that you say, I wanna be baptized. I wanna put on the Team Jesus jersey, identify as a marked person of faith, letting this congregation know, letting principalities and powers know, I belong to Jesus. Maybe today's the day to do that. That's a great way to get rid of weight. I get to do baptisms, and, and one of the things that you hear from people all the time is this. I just had a peace. I felt like a backpack was taken off of me. I felt set free. Maybe today's your day. 
we'd love to do that with you. If you're doing well, use this month, December. I always use December in my own life to evaluate, is there sin or weight in me right now? Because I want to run 2021 hard. I want to get all that Jesus has for me in this coming year. So evaluate. Based on this, that this is all going to disappear. What manner of people ought we to be in holiness and godliness? Would you stand for one final song?